0: Radical, episode 114. Ladies and gents, thank you for joining me on this edition of Radical. Um, I had some some real recording problems again. I think I had some updates come in, and uh, it defaulted to my computer. Mike and I, man, I apologize, and I thank you guys for bearing with me through this. Um, <clears throat> I will try to make sure that I pay a lot more attention for uh, the sake and quality of this show in the uh, in the, the the future. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun. I was really um, I, I, I really kind of taken back in, in, in a good way uh, with Eric. And um, I think you guys are going to enjoy this discussion. Uh, I think we are making huge, huge strides for liberty, uh, the entire liberty movement. And we are bringing in people from all over the place. But... Um, enjoy the rest of the show radical episode 115 thanks for being with me again ladies and gents i have another awesome guest uh we were just chatting backstage i think you guys are gonna have a lot of fun with this as we are um his name is eric he is the iraq veteran 8888 this came about from a uh, another person on Twitter that said, you guys should definitely talk about something. Um, in, uh, it, Eric is huge on, on YouTube. He's got about two and a half million followers. He's into liberty, uh, dangerous freedom. He's a huge advocate for the Second Amendment. Uh, he's also a veteran and a hunter and a fisherman. Uh, we've got a lot in common. He's also here in the state of Georgia. Uh, please welcome to the show, Eric. Welcome, sir. Howdy, Shane.
1: Thanks for having How- me.
0: <laughs> How do man? No, it's uh, it's good to have another uh, George boy in here, and uh, and we're going to talk a little freedom and, and and liberty and everything else. But uh, I would like you know maybe some of my crowd don't know who you are and haven't seen one of your you know gajillions of videos out there on uh, on two way and freedom and everything else. But uh, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody, dude?
1: Before I get started, I just have to say the intro to this thing that that video roll in the intro is amazing. Like, I, I feel like I'm, I should be jumping out of a helicopter in the
0: action movie here. <laughs> Daniel Smoltz, man. I'm telling every time I have guests on there, they're like, bro, what's going on with that intro? Daniel that's Smoltz some, is... Uh, that's
1: some Michael Bay-level uh, production, man. Very well yeah. done. Looks good. Looks good. Yeah,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll introduce you. If you uh, he's always looking for more work, man. So it's, awesome. uh, it's definitely, <laughs> definitely one of those high-energy guys. But That's yeah. one of those kind of
1: things, when you see that type of an intro... You, you almost kind of have to feel like like you've got to do something awesome afterwards or else you're going to let people down. <laughs>
0: you know, just, just just two Georgia guys talking, man. No, you guys, it's just going to decline from here. It's like a PT back in the use of the day, you know, when they say, hey, we'll, we'll start off slow and taper off from there, that kind of thing. So <laughs> that's right. But hey, yeah. Tell, tell everybody about yourself, man.
1: Yeah. You know, so Chad and I got started with the YouTube channel, you know, quite a long time ago. We're we're sort of one of the the, the OGs, if you will, in the uh, in the YouTube world in terms yes, of running you this YouTube channel. What that we've been at it a little over thirteen years. So um, I haven't been doing it full time that long, but uh, it has certainly been a uh, really interesting journey, and it's been very uh, a love hate relationship to see how YouTube has uh, changed. Uh, some would say for the worse, obviously, and some yeah. would say for the better, but you know, uh, change has come with the social media companies and we've seen it from day one. Uh, you know, we got on uh, Facebook relatively early, of course, Instagram. And, uh, I, I, I'm fairly new to Twitter. So, uh, you know, when, uh, you have one of your yeah, viewers, 40,000 followers, Yeah. You know. well, when, when one of your uh, viewers recommended you and I chat and, uh, you know, I haven't really done a lot of reaching out to folks that I've met on Twitter, so I, I would certainly relish the opportunity to talk with you here and uh, and get on here and have a chat. And uh, we've just been making YouTube videos. You know, it, it just started out as us just wanting to document things that we happen to already be doing and just having fun and wanting to share it with other people. And that's really what the uh, the, the lifeblood is of YouTube, at least in the early days, especially was folks just wanting to uh, engage with folks that shared the same interest as them. And uh, it turns out uh, there's quite a few people that are into firearms, uh, as we can see. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, With two and a half million people following us, I I think we've uh, I think we've reached our target demographic for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, two point five, there's five hundred million guns in America. It's like, geez, like you guys said, you do a lot of room for growth still. I'll tell you that. Yeah. But by by, but I, I think I think by any uh, any person, you know, being uh, you know fair, I think two point five million is more than an accomplishment. I think it's a mainstay, and and, and especially uh, in this day and age where you know the, uh, you know, kind of you know, uh, you gotta feel maybe like you were sold a bag of goods and and helping YouTube come up with it, don't you?
1: Well, so what a lot of people don't know. About, uh, you know, the early days of YouTube and everything is, you know, before Google bought YouTube, it was just YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just a video company or whatever. And I had an employee from YouTube reach out to me way, way early on. This has been, gosh, long time ago. And it was right when they were starting to roll out the partners program and they were starting to, you know, just starting to look at the idea of monetizing channels and things like that. And we were one of the first 50 monetized YouTube channels on YouTube, period. And uh, that was back when we had somebody reach out and say, hey, are you interested? And I pulled it up on my phone. I'm thinking, ah, whatever. And it was back when I had the old BlackBerry World phone, you know, with the little stylus button in oh, the middle. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was super crude, you know. But, but well, it was actually an advanced phone for the day. But but anyway, I accepted the request. And uh, it's it's been pretty interesting to see, uh, you know, not only the politics get more and more introduced into uh, the platform in terms of just uh, how they – Approach it holistically from, you know, the way they're treating conservatives, uh, but also I, I agree with you. I do feel pretty vested in the platform, yeah. Because you know we we helped grow it from nothing, and I like to use the analogy that you know our our hands are bloody from carrying the bricks. Yeah, you know what I mean we're calloused yeah. and bloodied from carrying the bricks that built that platform. So yeah, I do take things to heart when I see things that are going on with the platform. Cause I mean, yeah, you can't help, but feel a little vested. I mean, imagine working for a company for 13 years. I mean, you know, it's a that's, long time.
0: It, 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 man, you know, that's the thing I've, I've not ever looked at it that way either where, you know, somebody talks about working for the company, I mean, it's not, I, I understand it's probably more, more of a what, 1099 type situation Um, with those kind of guys, but still, you know, being somebody that contributes to an organization that that lifts them up, that brings them um, two and a half million people on a regular basis um, to, to engage in that platform and and to, you know, have them do what they've done to so many, especially in your space. I mean, the fact that you guys still have, you know, a a, a two way type gun, um, you know, Channel, I, I mean, it speaks for itself in terms of, you know, what you guys have been able to accomplish, because a lot of guys, they're gone, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been a very difficult environment for newer, uh, you know, newer up and coming channels to, you know, make it big and to do really good things with. Um you know, we have influenced a lot of people. We have gotten a lot of people to want to start up YouTube channels. And I'm very humbled by that when they tell me, hey, we started a channel because we saw what you were doing or whatever. And and that means a lot to us. But, yeah, it, there is a sort of uh, a vested interest. Right. Like after a while, you feel like, man, you know, we we built this thing together. You know, it, it's tough. You know, when you see, you know, people get account strikes and they get demonetized, they get posts pulled. Uh, there's this blatant censorship that's going on. It's really concerning to see that type of stuff happening. I mean, especially when I guess the pitch is that early on, you know, Hey, this is all inclusive thing, you know, come on in, right. You know, they open, you know, open the water's the door. yeah, every, yeah. The water's fine. Come on in. We're trying to build this giant platform. And then it's every, all, you know, <laughs> the floodgates are open. Everybody do their thing. And when, and what, I guess when you outlive your usefulness, they decide, Oh, well, you're a liability. You're not, uh, you're not helping us, uh, grow anything more. Uh, yeah, so you're, we're you're, just gonna
0: <laughs> you're you're out of line with the murder cult messaging, and sorry, we're gonna have to cut ties. It's 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 crazy to me. Um, yeah. I, I, what a, I think we'll, we'll kind of come back into this in a minute. Um, you're you're a vet as well, uh, obviously from from Iraq in those days. Um, what what did you do there? So I was over there with a mortar platoon. I was
1: attached to the third ID. I was over there oh five oh six. So I was just an infantry dude, you know, and we did. A bit, a little bit of cordon search, a little bit of, uh, you know, rolling traffic control points and things like that. But we did mm-hmm. a lot of convoy escort, a lot of truck babysitting, which, you know, can be a little tedious at times. You know, like a, a whole week of nothing going on, and then all of a sudden it's just utter chaos for about twenty minutes, and then sure. a whole other week. You know, that type of stuff. But uh, I was young then. I'd I'd say I was probably I think nineteen, late nineteen, twenty, okay. early twenties uh so i was still a young guy and i think that a lot of people when they're young they're they're fairly impressionable and you know obviously we were coming right out of you know 911 and there was just just this huge surge of patriotism that, you know a lot of people that are in our age group kind of felt a desire to uh want to do something and I, I think i was definitely one of those kind of 911 kids that,
0: that was like hey i want to i want to do something i mean li- literally that was I, I trust me, man. I've told my story a million times. I was like, I was in, I was going into my fourth year of college and it was just like, yeah, I got to, I got to go help out the country. Right. I, I didn't know what we're, what we were going to do. I was just in the recruiter's office saying, Hey, throw me at it, man. Let's go. And, and yeah, that, that star spangliness that, you know, the, the, the government indoctrination centers, you know, ingrain you with down here is it's, it's, you know, it, amongst a whole bunch of other things in, in Georgia. Um, it's, I don't know. For for me, I think there's so many kids that just were infatuated with the idea of of nine eleven and all that kind of stuff that never ever wanted to go off to war. But when the time came, man, they were just you know we were we were ready. We were primed for it, and it was just like yeah. this this generation of um, you know in, in waiting for something like this. And I think you probably feel probably a lot like I did. And just kind of the whole thing after 20 years, you're sitting there going like, what the hell, right? You know, I think
1: that it was like a perfect storm. It was like a bubble waiting to bust for an entire generation of young people because they did a really good job of sort of politicizing the entire environment and making all these young people feel super patriotic. And I think that there was this just real, you know, almost paternal need that a lot of us had that we felt like we were needed and we felt like we needed to go do something. And so looking back on it all these years later, I mean, obviously, I don't I don't agree with the endless wars and going over there and all this crazy stuff. And I may not even agree with why we were there in the first place or why we went there. But I think looking back on it and the holistic standpoint, I try to look at my military service from a standpoint of, Hey, all I did was go over there and watch the people's backs that were wearing the same uniform as me and the same flag on their shoulder as me. And that's all I can do is look out for the people around me. And I feel like I did that job
0: well. And I, I did what I needed to do. And I, you know, You hit hit on something really important. And I, and I think, um, it's, it's probably not talked about because, um, you know, from this transition of, you know, really, you know, being these kids, right. You know, baby face kids that don't know, you know, their, their head from their ass. Right. It's like, well, I'm going to go do this, but then you you get into theater and things change, man. Like you were kind of just saying like, you you know, your, your job looking back was to make sure that, you know, that the guys that you were with, um, you know, made it back. All right. And so, you obviously had a kind of a, I don't know, a moment. Uh, I imagine there were a lot of moments um, when you were there where things maybe didn't quite seem to be what you were sold, huh?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've, I've always believed that. And I think that the, the the glam and glitter of the politics that surround the situation quickly sort of disappear when you realize that it's it's just you and the boys. I mean, and, and, but I will say that, you never feel more patriotic uh, than when, you know, something's going down and you see that truck coming, that's a gun truck, and you see our flag on it, and you know that those people are your people. It does remove a lot of the bigotry that people feel towards each other. You don't think about religion, you don't think about race, you don't think about this this cult type of situation where, you know, we we band together in these uh, tribes, right, and create these situations. I mean, well, I guess being the military is sort of a tribe because, you know, it's it's, it's, it's,
0: it's kind of a cult, too. (laughs) It is. It is. But but what I
1: I mean, in the I would guess in the type of standpoint where you look at society and how especially the media, how the mainstream media here, they want to divide people on petty little things like religion and race and all these little tiny detractors where they can, you know, stick a little widget in and try to drive a wedge in between people. You don't feel that when you're over there. All you think is, man, this is dangerous. And you know what? I, I don't I may not know this guy that just pulled up very well or this guy I just came in contact with. But you know what? If somebody tries to mess with him, uh, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make sure he can go home to his family.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's, it's definitely it, it makes you I don't know. It, it definitely makes you second guess some things and some choices and and what you've been told and and kind of the, the official narrative of the state. And I, I always come back to that meme where the farmer's uh, insurance guy with the bald head, you know, is standing there. And it's like, yeah, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. And so, in mean, this day and age, man, I mean, America, it, you know, couldn't, you know, couldn't be, I guess it could be a little more divided. We haven't gone kinetic against each other yet. And I obviously, you know, pray that that never ever happens, but um, to, to see, what's happening in america right now i know um you're you're more of a a, a kind of a a america first uh maga guy i i try to boil things down to basics um and i mean you guys have got a a, a great handle on on a lot of things that i i really really agree with you guys on um and there are some things that you know maybe i'm a little you know i've differentiated on but in in today's America I mean the the idea of America I mean has has kind of slipped don't you think a little bit I mean just I say a little bit a lot
1: I mean when we when we say America and you, you say the idea of America, are we are we kind of talking about sort of the wedge that is sort of driven between, let's just say, people that are super progressive and more globalist, forward thinking, world government type of thing. And then more towards the other end of the spectrum, which would be more constitutionalist, uh, I guess, yeah. conservative, if you will, super religious, traditional Americana type people.
0: I think I think the idea that I guess I should probably better explain it, it and, and really it was more of my my grandparents. Right. That kind of uh, talked about this and instilled it into my parents and everything. It was that if you worked hard in America. Right. And you you, you kept out of trouble for the most part um, that you could you could really accomplish just you know, amazing things, your dreams, you know, and, and, and then some um, that that dream, the, the, the idea that, you know, you were a free human being that was not, you know, molested by the state and everything else.
1: You know, that's a really, really great point. In fact, it it makes me think of something that I mentioned to my friends all the time. And when folks, you know, talk to me about the American dream and about, especially folks in my age group, uh, I'm 37 years old. Mm -hmm. So I grew up as an 80s baby. And I think that by the time, you know, kids like me got a little bit older, you know, we're kind of sitting there in the Clinton administration. So kind of think along the You know, uh, lines of that type of a time frame. You're probably a little older than me because you mentioned you were in college at nine when nine eleven happened, right?
0: Yeah, bald and bald and old, man. (laughs) Right. So,
1: people in my age group, I feel like, especially as a man that grew up in the South and was raised by very uh, traditional Christian values. I mean, my my grandparents, my parents, both extremely religious very traditional, you know, hold the door open for ladies, you know, help little old ladies cross the street, that whole thing. Yes, sir. No, sir. That, you know, you get that idea, but I feel like our generation was sold a promise, right? That, that you're going to, you're going to work hard. You're going to go to school. You're going to get a job and you're going to have this, you know, wife in a polka dot dress with four uh, kids when you get home and she's going to have dinner cooked and you're going to get home and, Oh, you know, how how'd it go to, at school today, kids? Oh, it's great, Dad. You know, and and it was just going to be this picturesque Beaver Cleaver nineteen fifties existence if you just did what we told you. If you went to school, if you went to the uh, to the uh, educational institutions, pay your dues, pay your way, pay your debts, get out in society, work hard, pay your taxes, get a job. This whole system that we were we were sold this promise, mm-hmm. right? And I I have always had the kind of over underlying vision if you will that my generation is sort of the uh, our generation if you will i'd say folks in our age range probably the kind of forgotten generation we sort of we got handed baggage and we we were made a promise and they knew dang well that they were kicking a very large and unruly can down the road that we may not be able to juggle and i think they knew it but yet insisted on selling us this this promise and now we've got a man who's been in politics for 47 years, longer, 10 years longer than I've been alive. This guy's been in politics. Right. Yeah. And he's going to sit here and lecture me on how more government is going to make the world a better place and how he's going to fix things after 47 years. He ain't fixed it yet.
0: <laughs> you know, and he's got and some I'm, brand new shiny ideas for us. Right.
1: And I'm somehow supposed to sit here and get spoon fed that crap yeah. and believe
0: it. <laughs> um you yeah. know it's it's rough man i mean it, it like it, i'll tell you you know i i i didn't believe him i didn't believe trump i didn't believe obama and you know bush is where i fell out right with with presidents and politicians and and, and this whole state thing um would would you would you kind of agree that we're post-constitutional united states now would I agree that we are a pro-constitution? Uh, no, po- post-post-constitutional United States now. Oh, post-constitution. See, when yeah. you said,
1: when you said that, I, you said pro. I was thinking, wait a minute, nah. <laughs> so, you <laughs> Not know, at all. I, I would I would say the answer is from a holistic approach of the government and the way that they treat their citizens. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I would say the hearts of the citizens and the way that we view our everyday lives on the way we view liberty and with the way we review each you know each other and everything mm-hmm. i would say well, the constitution is alive in our hearts cuz it's what we live it's what we know it's it's what we've been sold it's it's our document like that's that's our the, it's the law of the land like growing up you know we didn't have these liberal teachers that were telling these kids oh uh, you know all this indoctrination and all this falsehoods and stuff when i was a kid coming up the teachers told you like it was you know they they explained you know we had social studies right we we had civics right we were we understood you know what how the government worked right they they made us understand liberty and our rights and how you know our laws work and how laws are passed in this country and our political process that was all taught and it was encouraged and then after school you went and down to the drill hall, and you had your your rifle practice with the twenty twos and stuff. If you're an ROTC or if you're on the rifle team, you know you had your after school programs. You could go shoot, skeet or whatever you want to do. So it was just a different environment. Freedom was viewed as an essential part of everyday American life, and our teachers. I know Miss Kent is gone now. Now look, Miss Kent has passed away. She has been gone a long time now. But look, you know, I grew up uh, <laughs> right outside of Atlanta and I went to Lake Harbin Elementary over there. And Miss Kent, God rest her soul, she always preached to us the importance of understanding our civic duty and understanding the way our country works and our rights. So to answer your question in a sort of, you know, drug out long, roundabout way, I, I think that your average Americans understand the importance of the Constitution and what it means to us and how important of a document it is and it's holistic approach to our rights. But I think the government just simply doesn't care. They just weaponize the entire system against the populace and they just take the document and go, and they don't care. Do you, do you think it's both parties at this point? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, <laughs> I've been saying that for years. I, I think that you know we really have a one party system that is uh, a, 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 a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, you know, it's no longer a two party system. It's basically, you've got a few different types of political ideals that fall into a few different basic camps and categories. But I wouldn't necessarily say that the parties have a whole lot of space in between them that you can draw a line between anymore. It's really just more individuals who happen to have the politics that you know, that you share versus people that don't. That's really the only way you can look at it. And right now, the only people in the political realm that I even agree with, even partially agree with, I mean, I I, I like Thomas Massey. I think he's a yeah. good guy. And Marjorie Green here in Georgia, I like her, you know, she can be a little crazy sometimes, but I do <laughs> but I I do I do like her overall approach to like, hey, America first, you know, gun rights, you know, the Constitution
0: civil and liberties. I, I think hmm. she's definitely a fighter, man. And, and I and I will definitely give her that. I, you know, I think she's, you know, got some things, you know, that, she's, you know, probably brought up on that she carries over um, that, you know, she just hasn't been exposed to some other things. But I, I definitely agree with you. I think this duopoly here, uh, not only in Georgia, but in, in the country doesn't serve anybody. And I think it was uh, Sam Adams and George Washington who, you know, really warned us and, and made grave, grave type uh, you know, predictions that if we ever saw a, a, a two-party type system in America, that it would be, you know, to to our own detriment and our own uh, falling. Um, with, with that being said, you know, it's um, you know, I know um, with this this last election, you know, it, it's it's helped uh, further uh, degrade the I, I think some of the American spirit in a lot of people, um, not because. You know, maybe their guy lost, but just because what we saw in in elections, like I've I've said for a long time, that elections elections are rigged. Here in Georgia, um, I think they've been rigged all along since seventeen seventy six. Um, you know, obviously, I'm a libertarian, and we can't even get on the ballot. We don't even have ballot access. You know, down to the you know like the dog catcher, right? It's an you know, election service. So, um, with with that being said, is there a push more in the uh, the the MAGA America First you know, community now to to find something different instead of the Republicans or you know obviously not the Democrats for them but like people that are that are maybe not going to do something uh, you know in, in the next election or you know win an election I should say but to, to move
1: you know I don't really feel. And, and some folks are probably going to hate me here for saying this, but I don't care. I, I'm going to say what I want. But I, I, I've never been a diehard Trump kind of guy. Like, you yeah. know, I, there are a lot of things about Trump that I, I really like. I mean, I, I do like the fact that he's a bit of a dick and he's not afraid. Yeah. to. Uh, That's I, the one thing I did like about it. I, I didn't mind that at all. I like the mean tweets. Like I, I think we need a you know a president or at least a a a, a political figure that's not afraid to uh, disrupt the status quo. Mm-hmm. So if one thing Trump did accomplish, it was disrupting the status quo, and that yeah. I very much agree with. And without getting into the holistic view of every little tiny policy or this or that, I'll just say that I'm I'm not a hundred percent in the Trump camp, but I'm not out of it either. I'm I'm kind of on the fence, having a look, you know. Yeah. But uh, the way that I approach Trump is that yeah. Uh, definitely a political outsider. And I think that what he did for this country and what he proved that this country needs probably more than anything else is someone who is not a politician. We want people that are real people that we feel like are going to represent our best interests. And I think the average person doesn't care if that person happens to be a multimillionaire or happens to be a very successful businessman. Because when I voted for Trump uh, back in you know the first time around when he was elected, I think that Uh, you know, the way I looked at it was, hey, this country's in trouble. Uh, We're fiscally in trouble, right? We're spending ourselves into oblivion, right? And I'm thinking, well, well, what better leader could we have for this country than a very successful businessman that has, you know, done really good things in the business world? I mean, he's obviously well-liked. So yeah, there was this sort of cult of personality that surrounded Trump that made him very Uh, approachable and and made, you know, a guy like me who's been told his whole life, you know, do this, do, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You kind of think, well, maybe he can, you know, run the place like a businessman and fix things. And honestly, I think he did a fantastic job overall. I mean, the holistic, uh, you know, approach to the way that he ran the country for the four years I think was pretty good. I don't agree with his his position on the second amendment. Okay. I I don't agree.
0: (laughs) No, I've seen you talk about it and I've seen you even cite the, uh, the Sixth district uh, courts, uh, you know, you know where they, where they basically struck it down. Uh, the the whole bump stock. Uh, you know where you can't have, you know, federal agencies not only determining policy as bureaucrats but also enforcing those. I policies. feel
1: I feel like he was a very weak Second Amendment advocate, and I think calling him a Second Amendment advocate is is, is a is a a stain on the yeah. collar of of advocacy for the Second Amendment. So you know he he made very ill statements about suppressor ownership. Uh, he of course you know signed the bump stock. Uh, BAM, which I don't agree with, many other things. So, you know, and we had control of the ship for two years. What happened? Right. So to segue into your other point. All right. What do we want? What do we need? Do we need another party? Do we need better politicians? Do we need better people? The answer is, look, whoever's going to be there, whoever's going to wave that banner, they need to fight. That's why I like Marjorie Greene so much, because, yeah, she can be a little batty sometimes and a little like, whoa, you know, but she's a fighter. And that's what we need. We need fighters. We need people who are willing to get in there and upset the establishment, willing to get up there and upset the good old boy, you know, way of doing things and actually make some things happen. No more talk. We want to see action. We want to see results. We want to see them actually do things that actually go towards, you know, the platform that they're running on.
0: How how do we get – the, the crowd that's tired of both these parties to venture out into maybe libertarianism or another party or whatever how do we get people to stop you know wanting and saying well i just want somebody who's not a politician i want somebody who's not going to take a ton of money i want somebody who's not going to serve there forever i'm not i want somebody who's completely disconnected and i want somebody who respects our rights like how do we get those people from saying i want to actually pulling the trigger for somebody who is that way. Well, there's a
1: couple of different things that sort of uh that are nuanced into this uh, Mm -hmm. particular particular question. And I believe one is the fact that the left, and let's just call it what it is, like the left the leftists. Yeah, the status. The status, well the, the leftists control the media, they control all of this stuff that's going on. They they can it's it's really hard to reach out to other people that think differently uh, than the way you do when you're shadow banned and your you know your your <laughs> yeah. posts are, are pulled. So I, I think that if you change culture, if you change people's view of culture, and you have people with a little bit more holistic approach to the culture around them, not just living in an echo chamber, and you try to understand the world around you a little bit people will start to kind of go, okay, here's my holistic or overall worldview approach to the way that I look at this political ideology or that political ideology. And then you kind of start to think, you know what, I'm just a guy and this is what I think. And this candidate either is or isn't my person uh, that Mm -hmm. I want to vote for. And I think people are so quick to go, oh, there's a D, I'll vote for him. Oh, there's an R, I'll vote for him. And they're really, they have the illusion of choice. Because they think they're choosing, but they're really not. They're 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 really being persuaded to choose a lesser of two evils instead of what their heart really tells them to vote for.
0: Yeah, and mean, in, in in effect, they've at some you know level inside their mind accepted that either way it's going to be evil. And I, and I don't understand. Like for the life of me, you know, it's I've run a few campaigns, and you know, as you know, one is a Republican and one is a Libertarian, and it's like, you know, you you. you you, you see this, right? You're the you're the guy that gets off the butt and, and actually takes some action. And, you know, the people that say, oh, I want all these things will still go to the ballot and say, look, I'm voting for the guy that I think can win instead of like, hey, you know what? This is a protest vote and I don't give a damn whether my guy wins or, or not. And it's like I I'm, I'm telling you, like trying to crack that nut to where you can sit there and say, you know, where do people have enough? Where do people say I don't care? If my candidate wins or loses, I'm going to send a message one way or another. And and I, I guess my next question would be, do you think that can even happen in a duopoly anymore? Do you think either a Republican or Democrat, do you think that, you know, running inside those parties is ever going to change anything? Well,
1: I think what needs to happen is I think that some libertarians need to kind of like snuggle their way into the Republican Party and just run. I tried that. <laughs> I,
0: I tried yeah. it, man. <laughs>
1: You know, I mean, look, hey, they do it. Right. You see rhinos. Right. You've got a guy that ran ran as a Republican. But really, you know, he's he's more uh, I guess a really good example would be Joe Manchin. All right. West Virginia. Okay, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of talk about Joe Manchin right now because, you know, he's not willing to nuke the filibuster. And we've got this, well, just like one seat away, right, of, of them being able to just stone roll through a ton of crazy stuff, everything from gun control to uh, packing the Supreme Court and everything like that. And here you have this rural West Virginian senator that is like, nope, I'm not going to pack. I'm not going to pack it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna nuke the filibuster. So that right there is the founding father's intention at work, right? Very, so you've got this slow, rural yeah. West Virginia uh democrat who really is really a republican i mean and now i don't agree with joe manchin on some of his gun uh his two-way views but right he is a gun owner and he, he at least is siding with the constitution and siding with the way this republic is supposed to be ran and you have to give him some props there and here's a guy that he's a dino technically right you know this guy's a you know, kind of thinks more like a Republican, but he's got a yeah. D next to his name, so he's going to get the vote. Same thing on the other side of the political aisle, where you've got Republicans that they run as a Republican and they're going to get the vote because there's R next to their name. But then there's a lot of things that, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna vote yay for gun control. They're going to support things that the Democrats support. They're going to reach across the aisle and they're going to try to work with the Democrats on things.
0: Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, even here in the state of Georgia, there's a uh, there's a there's a great uh, Freedom Index out there. Uh, that scores all these guys on their constitutional voting records, and man, I look at Georgia and the Republicans. That's why I got involved because I saw like most of them were maybe, maybe a sixty and below, and I was just like, "What? How in the hell are you guys still getting elected as quote unquote Republicans and 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 carrying a fifty percent constitutional voting average?"
1: Yeah, it it makes you wonder, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, you know, it's, it, 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 the CNN isn't going out there and going, oh, no, you know, these guys only have, you know, 50 percent. They're, you know, like they'll just keep continue to bash and continue to bash them until they get a Democrat in there that's, you know, even less uh, than 50 percent. So, no, I, I think it's a really uh, an interesting thing. Do you think um, in, in this day and age that uh, D.C. and the, you know, first, is D.C. in a constitutional republic, is it even salvageable at this point?
1: I think that uh, D.C. is the United States version of most Eisley Spaceport. <laughs> I mean,
0: what it's, a great reference.
1: It literally is. I mean, it, it is such a cesspool, you know, and I've been to D.C. a few times. And, yeah. and look, for anyone, I, I don't know, maybe some folks are listening that maybe remember me from D.C., but. You know, I went up for the for the two A thing we did on the Capitol Hill, and we gave a speech. And it was cool, you know, and it was really nice to have a bunch of two A supporters up there on the hill. And uh, it was a really sobering place to visit. And you get this feeling, like, not to get in the weeds on this, but I always wanted to talk about it. No, no one ever asked me about it, so I just thought I'd mention it. Yeah. Uh, it's like when you go to D.C. and you see the architecture and just ev- the way everything's made everything's larger than life like you know you go to the smithsonian oh, it's massive. and it's this massive museum and you feel like a tiny ant going into a matchbox like it's just everything is larger than life and it's just so huge and large and and you get this feeling that you are existing within the apex of human civilization when you visit the place and it has that way of, of, of having that effect on you when you visit it and you're thinking wow like This is, you know, the apex of human civilization. Like if the world ended tomorrow and aliens found this place, they'd be like, yep, these were the people in charge of the world. Like that's the feeling that you get. You get this feeling like it puts it in you. And you visit Arlington and you see all those graves of all those men and women that gave their lives so that this experiment could exist. And it's sobering. It's incredibly sobering. So DC is hollowed ground, both in a good way and a bad way. Its foundations were made of sacrifice and people that gave their lives so that we could have this crazy experiment that we call a constitutional republic. But would you see the people occupying it? And I mean, the politicians. The
0: they're, lobbyists, the bureaucrats, the rest of them. Yeah,
1: they're literally just walking all over the foundation of what this country was built on. And they don't care. It's yeah. like you can tell that. It, it it does meaningless to them.
0: Yeah, I I I, I don't think it is. Uh, you know, I, I think there's been irreparable damage done. I don't think DC is ever going to be salvageable. I, you know, and to think that you know the the, the Congress has been surrounded by you know a, a bunch of our own men and women because the, the the scoundrels inside are doing you know such evil at this point they're scared to death. Right? It's like. I don't know. I, you know, I think that I think the anti federals were they were right. And they were prophets um, that, you know, the, the Constitution is as good as the intentions may have been, um, was really a coup to, to bring together a centralized authority. Um, would you ever be in support of secession here in Georgia and saying, hey, you know what? You know, we like the rest of you guys around the states, but, you know, D.C., they got to go. They got to leave us.
1: Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned su- succession because when you look at uh, Texas, for instance, right. Uh, you know, they've been on the, the forefront of succession. They've been talking about It's always that threat. It's there. <laughs> always that threat. Like everyone, around. everyone is like, Hey, we're Texas and we don't need you and everything like that. Uh, you know, I do believe very much in States rights. And mm-hmm. I think that States should be able to govern themselves without fear of, of reprisal from the federal government. And, uh, you know, it's it's a loaded question. It's, it's difficult to say. I mean, I would have to look at it from an overall approach of, you know, how it's going to fiscally affect us, how it's going to affect the economy, how it's going to affect, you know, people and relationships and our overall approach to just how we are united as a country. So, you know, I don't know. I, I I can't necessarily say whether or not I would or would not be for it. I think I'm relatively neutral. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would be for it if there was some humongous benefit overall that let's just say, you know, if we uh, succeeded from the union, that there would be this humongous economic boom or, you know, one thing that I will say, I would love to see Georgia be on the forefront of cannabis legalization uh, because you've got all this farmland out here, right? Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah, number one ag- or, uh, industry.
1: Cannabis is used, uh, well, hemp primarily is used in a ton of different textiles. You can make fabric out of it. I mean, you can make paper products and all different types of things. Obviously, the medicinal purpose, uh medicinal uses of cannabis and, and recreational. I, I am one of the kind of people that I am for the recreational yeah. uh, legalization of cannabis uh, and everything like that. I think Ge- I'd like to see Georgia be on the forefront of being a Second Amendment sanctuary state. Right. I, I, I wish Kemp would say, hey, here you go. We're a Second Amendment sanctuary. Right. I want to see us be on the forefront of cannabis legalization and pushing for federal cannabis legalization. Now, in the standpoint of succession, it wouldn't dang matter because we would just be our own That's right. entity at that point, I suppose. So I could get behind it in, in light of that as long as, you know, there'd be a healthy, uh, you know, healthy overall fiscal uh, benefit from it, you know, yeah. I want to make sure we could have better, you know, more business, you know, raise more money for, you know, have a yeah, better I, overall livelihood.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the first thing that I think of is, well, all the federal taxes and bureaucrats, they're gone, right? So like, if I'm not paying, you know, somewhere between 15 and 30% of my earnings, uh, on top of all the other ridiculous, you know, indirect type taxes that come in and and, and zap us of our, I think, you know, the economy starts to flourish, you know, straight straight away from that um, to to be able you know, to be in charge of our own ports and our own agriculture and our own industries and things like that uh, to, to, to free people. Because let's face it, I mean, you talk about cannabis as an industry um, being that, you know, agriculture is our number one industry here in Georgia. The the freedom to say, listen, Georgia, you've been handcuffed, you've been gagged, you've been blindfolded. You guys have been working in a market that you've been totally isolated from your like who the customers are right like let's rip all that stuff off and let's get down to like really really removing all these barriers uh into the market i i heard you know something um from uh Ted Metz, uh who had done a ton of work with the the cannabis industry where if we were to grow uh cannabis in the state of Georgia we could produce two bumper crops a year that could run every every diesel engine on earth for the entire year is that not nuts
1: right and why is there all this bureaucracy and red tape that keeps people from doing it? I mean, there's all this unused farmland. There's tons of things. You look at all the subsidies and things where the mm-hmm. government buys up corn and certain crops and, and makes the, you know, you for ethanol and things like that. I mean, all this random stuff like that. I would love to see the cannabis industry boom in Georgia, and it needs to. I mean, if there's a way for our state to utilize our land resources in a way that benefit better benefit uh, yeah. the lives of georgians i want it to be allowed so if there's a way to do it then i say we do it
0: so yeah, yeah. so if, if we're if we're out that you know if we keep the tax money that we had to send to those people and you know we are energy independent within four years i think you know those two things alone i'd be like yeah i think we could probably do this without dc the rest of you states so if you guys want to hang out and be cool great dc yeah. get you know screw off right um I think that's a, it's, it's really cool that you are, you know, down with both the idea of secession and cannabis Um, as a vet. Have you, have you looked into a lot of the medicinal qualities of cannabis and and psilocybin and all those?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan. I really love his work and uh, he's one of the guys that kind of got me uh, into the idea of microdosing things like psilocybin. Uh, I have, uh, for for the purposes of this, obviously, I do not. I do not. But uh, it is very inter- an interesting science. I have always enjoyed uh, the science of psychedelics and how mm. those particular things uh, affect the mind and affect your overall creative process. And it's always been fascinating to me. Very very fascinating. You know, I've uh, I used to be a real big uh, fan of Sigmund Freud and following a lot of his work. And you know, on our mind and our psyche and our dreams and the way we work and we think and we operate. And yes, um, I do know a lot of veterans that utilize cannabis for uh, tons of back pain and lots of guys have really bad fibromyalgia. You know, those explosions and things can really upset all of your, uh, your, your nerves and everything like that. So a lot of guys develop really severe fibromyalgia, back pain, things like that. Uh, it is super, super great for, especially, um, anxiety, right? You know, a lot of guys have post-traumatic stress syndrome. So obviously, you know, folks that are using the oils or using, uh, you know, the flour, using the edibles or whatever the case it may be. I do know a lot of folks in the veteran community that utilize it uh, for medicinal purposes and it definitely enhances their life. And one thing that I like about the idea of it too is it's a natural remedy. You get rid of all the big pharma, you get rid of all these big pharmaceutical companies that are pumping you full of all this crap and these doctors that are just keeping you medicated and dumbed down with all of this random crap, no telling what you're putting in your body. I do like the fact that cannabis is a natural remedy. The universe gave it to us. It's there. It grows ah, out of the ground, I love heart, it. you know? I mean, why Why is that not a thing? Why, why should cannabis so, not
0: be legal? Yeah, I mean, to, to think that the, the murder cult, as I call them, can remove nature as a right, right? Like, I mean, whether it's psilocybin or cannabis, um, especially from people that have had some type of you know traumatic event in their life where they can help them work through some things mentally to see it from you know a different viewpoint even inside their own head to have those you know moments where whether it's introspection or whether it's talking some things out out loud with somebody that they trust and they love or people that have have kind of gone through the same thing that I am Totally agree with you on, on all those. And I will say, as a guy who has probably used everything uh, in terms of cannabis, minus the dabs, I haven't done dabs yet. Like, those things are a little too druggy. You know, like, you got to get out this, like, the, the lighter and all that. No, that's, that's not for me. But the uh, it, it does. It does amazing things for uh, the soul, right, in terms of healing and, and, and bringing back empathy into people's lives, which I think – you know, as, as, as veterans, a lot of times we miss, uh, because it's always mission, mission, mission. And your, your brain, you know, I can say brainwashed almost. It's like mission over your own life. Right. So everything else is a far second when in real life, man, it's, it's about people, it's about relationships and things like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a. have never thought about it that way. That is such a great perspective to look at it from and a great scope to view the whole situation under, uh, when it comes to that sort of thing, you know, you know, Finding peace with yourself is a very important thing for people yeah. to do, you know, and I think that there is a lot of, you know, misunderstood and and I believe uh, demonized wrongly demonized perspectives about, uh, you know, psychedelics and cannabis and things that yeah. are, are just ill founded. And they're just I think big pharma gets in the way of a lot of that. Because yeah. they're making money hand over
0: fist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how the hell? I mean, you, I mean, if you're going to grow psilocybin or cannabis, I mean, you're talking about you know a, a very small amount of time, right? And you can produce more than you could ever use. And and really, you know, at that point, if you start understanding, you know, dosing and 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 you know preparation and all that kind of stuff for other people out there, you start to have an industry in and of itself that's actually very bountiful. It costs very little, and that's not profitable for those people. And so you kind of see, you know, the, the not only that, but, like, what it does to people in terms of opening up their their psyche and, and love in Philadelphia for other people. And you're like, oh, yeah, man, there's there's a real damn good reason that they, they shut all this kind of stuff off and, you know, tried to calcify your pineal gland so that you weren't spiritually connected. You were in this kind of, like, sterile state of faith. And religion, and not really in touch with everything else. I think it's you know probably one of the, the biggest you know conspiracies of our time. Actually,
1: believe me, I completely, I totally agree with you. You know, I used to keep a dream log. You know, after mm-hmm. reading on Sigmund Freud's work a lot, uh, I used I know it I might seem lame to some people, but I used to keep a dream log. And every time I dream, I wake up in the morning, I write down what I dreamed about and everything. I think it's important to have a spiritual connection. Uh, with nature. I think nature is a big part of it too. And you mentioned earlier those kind of hurdles, like you said something, you said it's not profitable to big pharma, right? Well, you're right. It's not profitable. All right. Well, to kind of go back to what you mentioned about uh, taxes, right? You know, oh, Uncle Sam keeping 30% of your money. Imagine how Good your life would be if <laughs> if you actually got to keep everything you made and not have to you know give it away to some person under the threat of, uh, of violence against you. Right. Yeah. So, you know, everybody wants to talk about, oh, a coronavirus check. Well, I don't want a coronavirus check. I want to keep the freaking money I made.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I want to I want to I, you know? <laughs> I, I want to attain something so much higher than that, not only for myself, but I want anybody and everybody out there to have the, the that that American dream. Right. I want people to think that if you go out there and follow your passion and create some genius within your own niche, right. Where you revolutionize that, whatever niche you're in and then get paid for it for contributing to society, lifting the human condition. And and that's what it's, I mean, that's what it's about for, I think guys like yourself and guys like me is like, how do we make this happen? And it, and it only happens in a, in a much freer world. Um, I, man, I could talk to you forever about I think all this government stuff. I got to talk to you about guns a little bit, man, or else you know the people out there that are that are the gun bunnies are gonna need to talk about guns. So um, I, I saw today. Uh, I think it was in your in your Twitter feed, man. The uh, the Smith and Wesson uh, was that the M and P fifteen that you had up
1: there? Yeah, the little twenty two.
0: Oh man, I love that gun.
1: Those just came out in uh, December. Uh, so that's a new product for smith and Wesson their little pistol version of the yeah. uh p 1522 you know very lightweight polymer construction and the way that bolt uh bounces in the receiver and the you know it's very very quiet because of the polymer construction and yeah. with a suppressor super super quiet with subs real accurate very lightweight uh the rail systems polymer too so super lightweight little setup i like those quite a bit you know if i find deals throughout the day like on on not to self-promote, but you know, I mean, when in Rome—that's right? part of the
0: reason, you're right? Sure. <laughs> 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 all
1: right. <laughs> like when when I'm when I'm at home, if we're not filming and stuff, yeah. If I'm on Twitter insulting people all day, like I'm known to do, right. I may throw up the occasional deal, you know, if I find something cool, you know, because hey, we all want to save some money when we can, so mm-hmm. try my yeah. best.
0: No, I think it's I think it's a hell of a service that you're putting out there for people. Uh, I didn't even realize that little guy existed until I looked at it, and I was like, "Man, I've I've wanted to get into a twenty two platform for a long time, and that one looks like you know I think I'm going to go and have a little talk with my wife afterwards and be like, Hey, you know, if this thing is ever you know manufactured to where I can get it again, I'm I'm going to snag one. But
1: well, um, you'll have to come down and uh, and try it out. You're in Georgia, right?
0: Yeah, man, I'm up here yeah, in the mountains.
1: Cool. You'll have to come down and visit sometime. I'm not too far from you.
0: We'll 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 get uh we'll get offline and in, in, in terms of roundabouts and maybe we can put together a video of, of having some fun day at the uh, the range of plank. and planking. You you still got to hook up for ammo or is that uh, is that black market these days?
1: Well, believe it or not, I, look a lot a lot of people think that these YouTubers you know get delivered pallets of ammo and everything, right. because But uh, yeah, if I buy it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's out there. Um, I mean, the prices on some of the ammunition is, is trying to go back down. Uh, it, it's not the best price we'd like to see. I think I was seeing some nine millimeter earlier for like 30 bucks a box for 50, which is certainly skyrocket price, but oh, yeah. still a much lower price than some of the local uh, FFLs are charging. I mean, I've, I've gone into some gun stores and seen nine millimeter for one hundred dollars for a box of ammo. And people are paying it because they just don't know any better. And it's just crazy.
0: Yeah, I, maybe this is this is fun to talk about too, because I mean because you're so close to the, the firearms industry, and I know you've probably got some really good connections there, I've heard some of the uh, you know the manufacturers out there in terms of ammunition at least talk about why there's such a shortage. Just they're not they're not slowing down. And actually they've sped up. There is delays because of COVID and everything else. But one of the, the guys, and I believe it was um I mean, it might have been One of the guys out at Hornaday, I think, was talking about, he's like, imagine all these very liberal areas burning to the ground. And you're one of the people that live in there. And now you're going, hmm, maybe it's not such a good idea. I might not tell anybody, but you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to get some ammo and I'm going to get a gun and things like that. Is that kind of what you've heard as well? Oh, yeah. So right now there
1: are record setting numbers of NICS checks going on right now from around the election until Mm. now. I mean, each month has been like breakneck, record-setting numbers of new firearms owners. And that's just ones that we know about that have occurred in the NICS system with background checks. Now, one background check could also constitute more than one gun purchase. So just because they say, hey, well, there was 5.2 million background checks on this month or whatever, that doesn't mean that there's not more than one gun on that 4473. So that means there is a minimum of 5.2 million guns that went out for those next checks and there likely could be way more. Okay. Uh, So it's really crazy to think about. So you've got this huge influx of new gun owners and, Mm -hmm. uh, and rightly so look, Hey, I'm all for it. Right. You know, you see these pictures where folks from all different walks of life and different backgrounds are earning themselves. Awesome. We need to see that type of uh, solidarity, uh, with each other where folks are encouraged to protect themselves but yeah. when you get this huge influx of people they all got to have ammo they all got to have holsters and magazines and accessories and they they need training they need range time all of this stuff so yeah you get this huge boom of 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 demand and a very finite and limited supply it puts a pinch on things it's just basic
0: economics at that point <laughs> <laughs> you're speaking my language man oh it's uh it, it's it's been awesome i've got uh just a, a couple minutes left here and um i want to make sure that i give you last word now, i want uh everybody I, i'll tag all of it in my notes anyway for the show but i want you to tell everybody where they can where they can find you how they can help you out and to help you keep doing what you're doing
1: well i'm on uh i'm on YouTube, Iraq veteran 88, 88 uh iraq veteran 8888 official on instagram and facebook and then of course iraq veteran 8888 here on uh twitter i will mention just as a sort of side point if you will uh i do have a parlor account as well iraq veteran 8888 uh i haven't i haven't had the best luck on parlor i'm still trying to work my way around that one but it's not too bad
0: hey man i I was gonna i was gonna ask you too um for your audience and and maybe something to look into because you know i think it's a matter of time before you know the people who are talking about liberty absolutely just get you know pull the plug on right and then we're going hey where is everybody um there's something that i had brought to my attention from uh one of my contacts on twitter it's a it's a blockchain social media you're familiar with this at all i am familiar with the concept,
1: but but i'm not uh oh, I, i'm not a member you know i don't have an account on any yeah. of
0: those well I, have, I haven't i haven't done much with it yet just because the, the migration you know i don't think is is quite there yet i think that the the big tech companies kind of see what's going on with hive blockchain type of social media and they're scared to death of it and so they're not pulling plugs as fast as they used to uh, or as fast as they would if it hadn't come around but anyway the the, the gist is this it's decentralized social media so that it runs around on everybody's nodes and it can never be deleted. So whatever content you produce, it stays there. And on top of it, as content creators, uh, you you have, you know, a bit of currency within those realms as well to go out and do some special things. And this is all evolving really, really rapidly. But one of the ones I'd, I'd point you to, and maybe you can research it yourself and uh, with, with your following, it's, uh, it's Hive.io or Hive Online. Uh, out there and they've got everything from like Twitter to YouTube to uh, to Facebook and all those things. So, you know, if people are looking, you know, I keep, I continue to tell people, you know, maybe don't, you don't have to spend all your time there. You don't have to, you know, migrate all at once, but you know, it's something to, to maybe have in your back pocket for that rainy day when uh, the authoritarian uh, murder cult comes down and says, oh no, we can't, we can't allow this kind of shit anymore. So um,
1: it's kind of like Napster for social media in a way. Cause that's what Napster was, was like, uh, yeah. you know, everyone decent. had a little Very piece of the that song. That's right. Yeah. No, no one had a, had the whole song. Everybody just had a tiny piece of it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. So some part of your song would be really high quality and then you get something like where somebody was holding up the, uh, uh the, the, the i guess the recorder at the time jesus getting old um but hey man i mean just i could i could talk to you all day and there's a ton of subjects like fishing and hunting and everything else man eric i hope you'll come back on with me at some point and uh you know if, if you want to go and, and bust some caps and do some planking man i'm uh i'm all about that kind of stuff and uh yeah you we'll get off we'll, we'll get on offline and, and have that but uh appreciate you coming in man thank you very much
1: Thank you for having me, Shane. And look, maybe we can have you on our podcast as well. We have our life Liberty and the pursuit podcast, LOP. Uh, We'd love to have you as a guest eventually. I I
0: jump at the chance, Eric. Thank you very much, sir. Awesome. Thank you, Shane. Thanks ladies and gents for sticking around through that. Uh, Like I said, I will fix the audio uh, and I appreciate your patience. Great conversation, I'll tell you right now. So pleasantly surprised to have the conversations we're having. I think the tides are turning, ladies and gents. We have so many people coming from what used to be you know, conservatives and Republicans and the GOP and the MAGA crowd, and we also have a ton of people coming in from the progressive, the Bernie bros, and things like that that are just sick of it, that can agree to the very basic principles of peace, liberty, and consent. And I'm telling you, it's because of people like you who are spreading the word, who are subscribing, who are going out there and taking action. It is absolutely incredible to see. Uh, I am humbled to be... Uh, one of those people that you guys come to uh, on on a at least a I guess a, a twice a week basis. So thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Uh, if you do if you love the show, consider becoming a patron, patron um, dot com, uh, patreon.com slash radical pod. Someday I'll get those right. Um, and if you would like to leave me a review, lift my spirits Help me uh, engage in that fight even harder. Uh, you can go to Apple and leave me a review there. Five stars. I will read it here on the air. Uh, if you've got something to bring to my attention, you can go to Shane at Radical Pod. And I will take a look at it and might make the show. Might not. We'll see. But uh, a lot of you guys have made some great suggestions out there. And I appreciate you reaching out to me. Uh, Eric was one of those suggestions. uh, And I look forward to talking to him more and uh, going out and actually laying down some lead. I think it's going to be awesome. Um, And I have a special ask from you guys. YouTube is a place where I really haven't um, tried to cultivate a ton of subscribers. If you guys would go out and maybe do me the favor of hitting the subscribe button on YouTube, that would really, really help me out. It, uh, what we're looking at is monetizing the channel and uh, and making a bigger run at everything, obviously. Anyway, I hope you guys have a great weekend. I got so much content coming your way. Great guests and some calls to action that I think are going to fire you guys up. But enjoy the weekend with your family, your friends. Go out there and live life. Until next time, I love you, I need you. Peace. Um. Don't hurt people and don't take their that.